From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council. Honored to be sitting in this evening for Tony and thank you for making Washington Watch part of your day. Before we get started today, there's something I want to just get started and honor a great man of God and a wonderful, powerful individual with the Family Research Council, Dean Nelson, a family of the part of the Family Research Council and a frequent guest of this program, went home to be with the Lord this weekend after a battle with uh, cancer. Uh, he actually served here at FRC as a senior fellow for African American Affairs. Uh, he was also the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. He was a leader, a champion for pro-life causes, the pro-life movement, all throughout his entire ministry. Dean was one of those individuals who was a natural at connecting people. He was generous in his relationships. He walked the walk. He was a man of God in every way. Uh, Dean leaves behind his wife, Julia, and three young children. And we here at FRC, among thousands and thousands across the country, will miss him dearly. We ask you to pray for his family and for everyone around him who right now is mourning deeply because of an, an enormous loss in Dean Nelson. And we thank you for that time. All right, coming up on today's program, we've got a lot to cover. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin made his second trip to Israel following the October 7th terror attacks. The United States has been clear and consistent since Hamas started this war on October 7th. Democracies are stronger and more secure when we uphold the law of war. And as I've said, protecting Palestinian civilians in Gaza is both a moral duty and a strategic imperative. Of course, that was Secretary Austin earlier today during a joint news conference with Israel's defense minister. And though the secretary said U.S. support for Israel remains strong, did his comments actually signal a shift in the Biden administration's relationship with Israeli leaders? Carolyn Glick, host of the Carolyn Glick Show on the Jewish News Syndicate, will join me in a few moments to discuss that. And speaking of U.S.-Israeli relations, as America has certainly fallen so far away from God's call, our country has remained, up to this point, steadfast as a friend and an ally of Israel. And frankly, this is standing more and more in contrast with much of the world. But what would it mean if America's commitment to Israel were to falter? Well, I'll have that conversation with Heather Johnston, founder and president of JH Israel, a little bit later. And as an election year approaches, many state legislatures continue to look into the need to ensure fair elections. Texas State Senator Brian Hughes will join me to discuss a Texas law that was passed in 2021 to protect election integrity in his state. And then later on, the Vatican announced today that Roman Catholic priests may administer blessings to same-sex couples. But does this announcement match what the legacy media claims it does about Catholic theology? Reverend Gerald Murray from New York City's Holy Family Church will join me to unpack that a little bit later in the program. Of course, our website TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any part of today's show or if you want to check archives of the past and there's a lot of wonderful resources there for you as well so be sure to check it out and then as we start the new year I want to encourage you to join us here at FRC with our daily Bible reading plan uh, the stand on the word journal can be yours to help you go through that daily Bible reading plan and with your generous tax-deductible year-end gift we'll send you a free copy of this journal. You don't want to miss it. We want you to join us as we go through the Word of God together. So call us at 1-800-225-4008. 
If you'd like a free copy, uh, let us know. God bless you. We look forward to reading the Word with you next year. All right, let's jump into today's program. As I mentioned a moment ago, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin returned to Israel today, calling it a strategic imperative that Israeli forces protect civilians as part of their war against Hamas. Well, reports indicate that the Secretary's visit continues the Biden administration's push for Israeli leaders to scale back from the current phase of their war against Hamas. But just yesterday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed to fight to the end in Gaza. So is the Biden administration's latest message today at odds with the goal of the prime minister? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Carolyn Glick. She's a senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate and host of the Carolyn Glick Show on the Jewish News Syndicate. Carolyn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Great to be on your program. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, I just let's start with your reaction to Secretary Austin's visit and the remarks he made today. Um, you know, his remarks were very similar to the remarks made by National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, who was here at the end of last week. We've really sort of had this constant uh, flow of senior administration officials to Israel every several days, every week or so, really almost since October 7th. And so um, Secretary Austin came. He said uh, he stated American support for Israel's goal of uh, defeating Hamas, of eradicating Hamas in Gaza. But then, as you mentioned in your introduction, he was placing limitations and hectoring Israel to do it in a certain way. And um, this goes together with an American policy that is requiring Israel as a condition for continued American support for the operation that we allow hundreds and hundreds of trucks of supplies into Gaza, which they refer to as humanitarian resupply or humanitarian aid. But really what it does, because Hamas is uh, in control of large swaths of Gaza, including the border with Egypt, this is aid that goes directly to Hamas first and then to Hamas apparatchik second, and then is largely sold in the black markets by hawkers who uh, crank the price up by 500% or so. Uh, for the civilians that the United States claims that it's geared towards helping. So what the United States is doing with this is guaranteeing the longevity of Hamas's war machine, or at least prolonging that lifetime, by continuing to supply it with uh, food and water and um, fuel. So that undermines Israel's operational freedom and our, our flexibility and also prolongs the life of the enemy. So. The United States says something and does something that's the exact opposite of what it says, and it couches it all under this need to maintain uh, allegiance to international law, which Israel does, like the Americans do in their wars, as a matter of course. So the hectoring is also a form of slander, because by saying you have to abide by international law, you're insinuating that Israel is doing something other than that. Well, that's right, and that's what the, the problem is, is we support Israel, but. And that, that's, that's what creates a lot of problems in, in all of this on both sides, uh, those of us here in the United States who support Israel, but also certainly Israel itself. So what we have here, it appears, Carolyn, is the Biden administration trying to thread a needle. Uh, and, and is this attempt to thread the needle really, is, is it too thin of a needle to try to thread? I mean, they're saying they support Israel, but they criticize the methods for conducting war against a terrorist opponent. Well, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's the United States basically has, I mean, it has several leverage points over Israel. Uh, as, as its ally, Israel has trusted the United States and ended a lot of its own production lines of uh, shells and ammunition, trusting that in time of need, the United States would abide by its commitment to Israel and, and provide us with the ammunition that we need in order to to fight. Um, and that's being held up now in the Senate, just uh, refused to pass again because they want a different bill for, they want everything to be together, aid for Israel, aid for Ukraine. And the Democrats tried to, I mean, the Republicans tried to separate them. And so the Democrats on the Senate side today uh, blocked the uh, aid bill to Israel from going through at least until the end of, at, at least until the beginning of next year after the Christmas holidays. So. Um, that's being held up. 
The Americans have the issue of the UN Security Council where you have constant harping to force Israel into a ceasefire through a UN Security Council resolution. The Americans vetoed one last week, but this week there's another one that's going to be voted on, and you can assume that it'll always be on. So Israel's constantly on edge. Is the United States going to veto a Security Council resolution or abstain and enable it to go through? Um, so that's another point of leverage that the United States holds over Israel. And so you see um, a lot of decision-making by the government that is absolutely counter to what they said that Israel would and wouldn't do, and it's all in keeping with American demands on Israel. So the United States is using the leverage that it has over Israel because Israel views it as a trusted ally in order to, in many cases, particularly with everything having to do with supplying Gaza or supplying Hamas first and foremost in Gaza with water and food and fuel, uh, the United States is undermining Israel's war effort. Well, and, you know, Israel right now is resolute. Prime Minister Netanyahu is saying we will destroy Hamas, and they, frankly, they have to. I mean, they live in an extremely difficult neighborhood where everyone around them wants to annihilate Israel. Uh, and it seems as though the United States is waffling just a little bit by saying, yeah, you can protect yourself, but, I mean, the reality, these are right. terrorists. These are people who hate Israel. They hate the United States as well, for that matter. How many of them are across our own border? But the prime minister is absolutely right in his resolve. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I mean, the Israeli people view destroying Hamas as an imperative for our survival. There's literally no argument here that this is a war for Israel's survival. Prime Minister Netanyahu has referred to it as Israel's second war of independence. We simply cannot continue to coexist with a genocidal terrorist organization that just committed an act, a day of Holocaust inside of sovereign Israeli territory and is still holding over 130 Israeli hostages in Gaza. So, you know, we, we cannot coexist with Hamas. Um, but Hamas, of course, isn't alone. It's, it's one of many Iranian proxies that's operating against Israel in the region. And that's another issue, which is the United States is saying they want to do everything to avoid a regional war, except a regional war is being fought throughout the region by Iran's proxies, not only against Israel, but against U.S. forces in Iraq, in Syria, shipping in the Red Sea. Um, and in Lebanon, we have Hezbollah, which is Iran's foreign legion in Lebanon, which controls that country, that poses an existential threat to Israel, and it's constantly escalating its attacks against Israel along the border. So this is, you know, this is a war that Israel, that it's very, very difficult to fight, and that not only does Israel have to fight it, but it has to win it, and it has to win it in a way where nobody will have any question about who wins this war, just as nobody thinks, wait, did Germany win World War II, or or the Allies, everybody knows it was the Allies, and it doesn't matter where they are on, you know, in Timbuktu or, or where have you. I mean, everywhere in the world, everybody always knows that. Same too here. Everybody has to come away with this war recognizing that Israel won. Absolutely. Because otherwise, Israel's, Israel's survival will be called into question. Carolyn Glick, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch and keeping us up to speed on this. We, our prayers are with Israel. Thank you for keeping us up to speed. All right, friends, after the break, I'll be going further with this discussion, speaking with Heather Johnston, who has organized congressional intel briefings on Israel. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Thank you for joining us this afternoon on Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in for Tony, and thank you for being a part of the program. As I discussed last segment, in public remarks made today in Israel, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin repeated the Biden administration's ongoing call for Israeli forces to transition to a lower-intensity operation in the coming weeks. But Secretary Austin, at the same time, did affirm that America's support for Israel's security is unshakable. So you've got this back-and-forth type uh, terminology and rhetoric coming. But the, the, the position that we have as an ally of Israel is increasingly putting the United States in an opposing position to worldwide sentiment. Uh, obviously, the seems like the support for Israel globally is beginning to wane. So what does the Bible say about all this? We know that the Bible says that God will bless those who bless Israel. And as Christians, we support Israel because we're grafted in to the promise that God made to Abraham. But what would it mean for our country if that support faltered? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Heather Johnston. She's the founder and president of J.H. Israel and U.S. Israel Education Association. Heather, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Judy. Well, it's great to have you with us again. And uh, Heather, let's just start with the big picture. Uh, let, let's just, 30,000 foot perspective, what does the scripture say about standing with Israel? Well, you were exactly right. I mean, there is an eternal covenant that God made with one man. His name was Abraham, and he set in motion what is the Jewish state for time immemorial, a covenant that was ir um, irrevocable, transcending space and time, eternal in its nature, going on forever. And so you have to ask yourself, how long is forever? Well, it just goes on and on into all of eternity. So God has an irrevocable covenant with Israel whom he set in the middle of the nations as a centerpiece where Israel would become a blessing for all nations. The spiritual blessings for all nations would come out of the state of Israel. Well, that is exactly what happened. You will be a blessing in the earth. I will cause those who bless you to be blessed, Israel, and those who curse you will be cursed. And it's interesting, Jody, that that curse word is used twice there, but the word is, is two different words in Hebrew. So 
if you read it again, it says those who, and it means to lightly esteem or take for granted. Um, and then the other curse word is to bitterly turn against. So I will bless those who bless you, and I will bitterly turn against those who take you for granted. And that is um, really central to this. And it is a crux of the matter for all nations for all time. And the United States to this point wow. has played that iconic role, that important role with the nations. But we see that we stand really at a place where that for a nation to prosper, they have to serve Israel. Their leaders have to have a relationship based on protection, based on economic growth and service to the nation of Israel. Isaiah 60, 9 and 10 is very clear. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, O Israel. Their kings are going to serve you. Though in anger I struck you, but with great compassion will I bring you back in great favor. And your gates will stand open so that the nations can bring you their wealth. Their kings will be guided in procession through the gates of Jerusalem. For the nation that will not serve you will perish and be destroyed. It's pretty strong. It's pretty black and white. It's pretty central ultimate and basic. It really is, and there's some great insight and biblical uh, principles and teaching there. There there are a couple of things here, Heather, taking place. We have what you're just talking about, what we talk about here at FRC. You've got the, the spiritual, the biblical side, the Christian view of, of Israel, the biblical understanding of Israel, and then you have just the practical side. It's as though so many people have totally denied or forgotten or overlooked the brutality of Hamas itself. And so you've got the biblical issue and you've got just the reality that these are terrorists and the brutality uh, that, that they have, have uh, inflicted on people. You've hosted a lot of briefings for members of Congress uh, and high-ranking Israeli military officials. What are they hearing? What is the message that they're getting in all of this? I would say, um, Jody, the message that Congress is getting and from the, the officials of Israel is we just need undivided support. We have been upended our, our philosophy, our understanding of the Palestinian Hamas situation. Um, it has caught them literally by surprise how horrific. In fact, the whole world is just as you said, it's hard to imbibe such horror. It's hard to imagine brutality and savagery at that level, because in our generation, we haven't ever seen it like that. Um, I think for the uh, U.S. Congress and those that are listening to the officials, they are hearing the same thing. We Israel has to prosecute this war to its completion, completely defeating Hamas, completely removing their military and political powers and their will to want to do something like this again. And then also, um, they're hearing we just don't we can't have aid conditioned on whether we're making based on decisions we're making in the middle of war versus the opinion of Washington, D.C. on what the length of time should be, how it should be prosecuted, all of those things. They need undivided support, and that's what they're asking for. We've got less than a minute left. Christians need to engage this thing. What, what can we as Christians do to show our support for Israel? Well, I think, you know, if you kind of think to yourself, you know, you're, you're looking at churches today and people are online. And I would say there's two different roles for Christians. One is pastors and pastors need to, from their pulpit, be standing up and they need to be leading their congregation in prayer. Our nation is at war in the Middle East. The United States is. And Israel, our greatest ally, is in the fight for their survival. It is not a time to stand down and be silent and stand there and not know what to do when you can actually stand in your pulpit right. and lead your entire congregation into intercession. Secondly, as a Christian standing in the United States today, we can pray for Israel. We need to be giving towards those causes um, that are taking care right now of those relief efforts, the rehabilitation for IDF soldiers. There's a lot out there to support. And so there's a way to be demonstrably involved um, going forward. Pray, give, and ultimately go. Make sure you show up. You can pretend Heather, to care. Heather, we've got to wrap it up right there. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Heather Johnson, JH Israel.
All right, friends, as election year approaches, more and more the issue of election integrity is on the table. What are some states doing to protect elections? We'll talk about it right after the break. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in today for Tony. Glad to have you with us. All right, as the 2024 presidential elections approaches, many voters continue to express deep concerns over election integrity and whether or not they can trust the election process as a whole. Uh, we, we all certainly know that cheating can be accomplished. And in fact, recent polls, some that we've talked about even recently on this program, have verified those, those suspicions. Uh, last year, last couple of years, several states, including my own state of Georgia and the state of Texas and many others, have passed laws to uphold the integrity of elections. Well, Texas is one of those states leading the way, and joining me to discuss this is State Senator Brian Hughes. He represents the 1st Senate District of Texas. Senator Hughes, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Congressman, thank you for having me on. Glad to be with you. Well, listen, I, uh, hats off to you and the state of Texas and other states. My home state of Georgia has been heavily involved in trying to protect elections. And I would say probably those two states, Georgia and Texas, are probably leading the way. Many people are looking at these and saying these are model pieces of legislation. So you have Senate Bill 1 there in Texas. Uh, tell us about this. Why is it so important for ensuring election integrity? And what does Senate Bill 1 do? Congressman, thank you. You're so right. You said it well. You've seen the polling. People on the left and the right are not sure if they can trust the elections. We have to have elections where people can know the results and accept the results and move forward if our system is going to work. So Senate Bill 1, given that number uh, from our vice lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, who presides over the Texas Senate, this is a priority for him and, and really ought to be for everybody. Not really a partisan issue, but making sure those elections are working like they should. So you know our mantra is easy to vote, hard to cheat. Both of those are obviously important, easy to vote and hard to cheat. We found that those mail ballots, those mail ballots can be the greatest source, certainly the greatest potential for fraud. I know that was the case in Georgia and many states. And so we've cracked down on these ballot harvesters, these people who are paid by political campaigns, and they go to the homes of vulnerable voters, mislead them, get their signatures, sometimes forge their signatures, and being paid by a campaign under the guise of helping the voters, and in fact, they're trying to 
impose their will, trying to steal their vote. So we're cracked down. We've cracked down on that criminal and civil liability for vote harvesting. If you're being paid by a campaign, you need to stay away from the voter and their ballot. You can campaign, you can encourage them to vote, but when that mail ballot's present, you cannot be anywhere near that in Texas or you're committing a crime. And what about when those ballots come in? Now in Texas, we have 24-hour live stream of whenever those ballots are being counted, wherever they are. Also, before that process, when they're checking the signature verification. I know in Georgia that was an issue in 2020. In so many states where these signature verification processes, also in some places in Texas, were being shortcutted. We want to make sure that every vote counts, every legitimate vote cast by that voter. We also implemented voter ID for those mail ballots. Now, when you request your mail ballot, you give us your voter registration number or your driver license number or your social security number. And so that way, when the ballot comes in, we can verify that to make sure it was you, the voter, who requested that ballot and make sure you, the voter, are the one who cast that ballot. Simple common sense reforms like that. We also, for in-person voting, expanded the hours made it easier for folks to vote, given more opportunities. And one more thing we found was happening on in-person voting on election day on the polling place. We had these vote harvesters being paid by campaigns coming up alongside vulnerable voters, maybe first-time voters, maybe voters with limited English proficiency or voters who weren't sure what was happening. They come alongside these voters and say, oh, let me help you. And they walk into the polling place with that voter, but then it's that a voter assistant who's doing the voting and not the voter. We're cracking down on that. If folks need help, they're gonna get help, but we cannot have paid political operatives in the voting booth influencing voters. That's wrong, that's cheating, and we're not letting that happen in Texas. Couldn't agree with you anymore. And these mail-in ballots, I'm sure you saw the poll this past week of one in five of those who voted by mail admitted to fraudulent activity. <laughs> And, you know, you would feel confident if you're being polled. Did you cheat? Did you commit fraud? Uh, probably some people say, oh, no, no, not me, not me. So probably the number is more than that. We've only got a little over a minute left, Senator. But for our viewers and listeners right now in other states, how do you think they can kind of push their state lawmakers to enact some similar laws real quickly? Senator, I would say this. Those mail ballots, they're an important tool for folks who are disabled, who are going to be out of the county, going to be out, going to be out of town. It's important. But as you know, states are pushing for universal mail ballots, mail ballots for everyone. That is a recipe for fraud. That's a recipe for elections that we cannot trust. So we want to make the in-person voting process as smooth and easy and secure as we can. And for those folks who need to vote by mail, that's important, make sure we have those checks in place. We're making sure it's the voter requesting the ballot the voter casting the ballot, make sure we're matching up those signatures and keep those paid political operatives out of the process. Our elections are not for sale. We want to keep it that way. We all want to keep it that way. State Senator Brian Hughes from Texas, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch and thank you for leading the charge in Texas and hopefully rippling effect far beyond to keep elections secure. God bless you. Merry Christmas. All right, friends, friends, coming up after... Thank you. Coming up after the break, a lot of news today about word coming out of the Vatican about uh, maybe a change in position with same-sex marriage. Well, following the break here, Father Gerald Murray will be joining me to discuss the latest announcement from the Vatican and how it measures up in reality to what you're hearing in the legacy media. Very important discussion coming your way right after the break, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host, sitting in today for Tony. Glad to have you on board with us. All right, you've probably have heard some about it today, but uh, the legacy media is heralding some comments coming out of the Vatican as concrete steps to make the Roman Catholic Church more welcoming to LGBTQ Catholics. Well, is that really what they said? It seems as though at least some are saying that the Vatican is saying that Roman Catholic priests may administer blessings to same-sex couples. As a document from the Vatican's doctrinal office said that these blessings do not legitimize same-sex marriage, but rather demonstrate that God welcomes everyone. But does this mark a reversal of a 2021 Vatican ruling that God cannot bless sin? Or is somehow there a lack of clarity in all of this, and is that by design? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Reverend Gerald Murray, the pastor of the Holy Family Church in New York City. Reverend Murray, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us. No, great to be with you, Jody. Thank you for having me on. Well, we are honored to have you. All right, so let me get your reaction to the Vatican's announcement today. We, we know what the media is saying. Uh, what does the document actually say? Well, unfortunately, the media is getting this basically right. Uh, the Pope has issued or, or approved of the issuance of a document from his doctrinal office, which states that uh, couples in same-sex unions, meaning two men or two women in a same-sex union, and then couples who are in an invalid second marriage can receive a blessing from the church as long as it's not what's called a liturgical blessing, meaning that it's a formal ritual that the church has established. Um, this is a problem because what the Pope is saying is that people who have publicly uh, pledged to unite in a relationship in which they commit grave and moral sins, such as sodomy, uh, that they are deserving to have that relationship blessed by a priest. And what the blessing means uh, is asking God to favor that relationship, uh, to strengthen favor and uh, 
you know, the, the, the normal thing that we do when we want to bless, for instance, an engaged couple or a couple that's getting married, things of that sort. Uh, now, they make some kind of distinction saying this isn't a marriage, and of course it's not because you can't marry, two men can't marry each other. Uh, but what the church is now saying is that the fact that they are living in sin without repentance is not an obstacle for the church to have some form of blessing given to them in public. And the, the document may say that this doesn't legitimize uh, the relationship, but I don't know how anybody else could, how anybody can say that seriously. Uh, because why do people come to a church to have a blessing? Uh, because they want to get an assurance from the priest that God's okay with what they're doing, and the church has no problem with their relationship. Well, that's the message you give when two people come together and then seek a blessing. So I'm very disturbed by this. This really is a very bad document, and uh, it's going to cause immense grief and sorrow in the Catholic Church, not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. Okay, so let me drive a little bit deeper with you on this. It's, it's being reported uh, as this is a major shift uh, in the church. But does it change Catholic theology, or is this playing with just a rhetorical? I mean, is this a change in the position of the church? It's a change in the fact that the church has never authorized this kind of blessing ceremony for two homosexuals or, or people in an invalid second marriage. The church has never authorized a blessing by priests of, of that relationship or those people in that relationship who come to seek precisely a blessing to reaffirm their what they would call their love for each other in those uh, relationships which offend God. Uh, now, the teaching of the church cannot change, uh, but the pastors of the church can act in a way that undermines that teaching. And that is simply what's going on here. Uh, if you, for instance, I, I have, if I'm holding an adult religion class and we do a section on the Sixth Commandment and I tell everybody in there, okay, you know, you have to avoid sexual sin, including homosexual acts. Uh, and if you're engaged in those, you have to stop. Well, at the end of the class, if two men come up to me and say, well, Father, as a matter of fact, we're civilly married. Uh, and we have no intention of separating, and we engage in the behavior you call sinful, but we don't think it's sinful, and we're not going to change. And then the priest said, well, I regret that, but that's what the teaching of the church is. And then the next question is, well, Pope Francis said you should bless us. And I'll say, I know he said that, but uh, you can't do that. It's wrong. We can't say that God is pleased with what you're doing. So this is the quandary and the dilemma that's being imposed on the church by this papal document, because uh, quite frankly, no pope in history has ever suggested that this is the way the church should act. Uh, and I think precisely because it does undermine uh, the Catholic moral teaching on sexuality, that is such a dangerous innovation. Okay, so this is, in your mind, uh, not and I don't want to put words in your mouth, I'm trying to understand this myself, this is not in and of itself a departure of the teachings of the church, that can't be done, but what this does is open the door for the teachings of the church to be undermined. Is that correct, yes or no? Well, when I say the church, the teaching can't be changed, a pope could take the document that says homosexual acts are immoral and cannot be blessed, and then he can change it to simply drop the first part and say they can be blessed. It doesn't change the teaching. Now, what happens is if you institute right. a practice like blessing homosexual couples, it gives the impression the church has no problem with their behavior, and that leads to the next conclusion that people have, well, I guess I'm okay doing this. Uh, so it's really a problem of okay, what so let me ask you giving to the people. Right. So with that, the, the issue here that all of us must understand and highlight underscore exclamation point is biblical truth. What does the Bible say on the issue? That ultimately is, is the, the issue here. So two things, what does the Bible say on this question? And secondly, why would the Vatican release this document or this declaration? Yes, well, it is absolutely based on the teaching of the Bible in the Old Testament in St. Paul. Uh, our Lord said that we shouldn't even look on a woman with impure thoughts, so let alone commit impure acts with anybody. Uh, and it's also based on the natural law, that the, the way God created man and woman has, is, reveals the innate purpose of the sexual faculty, that it's for procreation, the expression of married love, and to 
bring forth new life. Now, what this document does, uh, therefore, is uh, put all that aside and say, uh, we're going to go along with the agenda of the sexual revolution, because the sexual revolution of the 60s, which we continue to exist under uh, in basically all of the Western modern world, uh, it basically sex is about pleasure and you do whatever you want. As long as you don't hurt people, everybody agrees to it, then you're fine. And the Catholic Church says, absolutely not. Uh, God's law is good, pure, and holy, and it's binding on all mankind. You can't exempt yourself from the law of God simply because you want to do something against it. Uh, for the church to get into this discussion and say, well, we find an exception here for people who want to have their relationship blessed, big mistake. It creates the impression that we have no problem uh, with homosexual activity. And this is part of the legitimization of the gay lifestyle that's going on in Western world. I know this is very uh, offensive to people who take the Bible seriously. Uh, and I'm sorry to say that the Pope has issued a document which doesn't support biblical morality in this regard. So last question here for you. This is an issue that goes far beyond Catholic. It's not just a Catholic issue. Right. How do we continue creating a biblical worldview in our churches? That's a great question. Um, if there's anything we need to do is have more Bible study and more uh, you know, reading of the scriptures in a prayerful and thoughtful way, and then taking the questions of the day and trying to find out what has God revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures about those questions. And we'll come to some very uh, enlightening uh, understandings that, you know, a large part of the modern world is based on the idea that man is sovereign. You know, he determines everything. He determines what's right and wrong, what he can and cannot do. Uh, he has a right to uh, do whatever he chooses for himself. That rejects biblical uh, understanding of creation and man's role in it. So our goal, you know, certainly in the Catholic Church and in all Christian churches, has to be Whatever God has revealed to us as the holy way of life, we have to live it and encourage others to do. And we can do nothing to lead people into sin. But I'm afraid the net effect of this document is going to be that Catholics who identify as gays and homosexuals and people in invalid second marriages, they're going to come forward and say, hope has no problem with me. Uh, why should I uh, listen to uh, priests and others who might disagree with the Pope? Uh, no, uh, if, if this has never happened in the life of the church up to this point, there's a reason for that, because the truth was clear. Uh, this, this innovation has to be resisted because it's going to produce chaos in so many lives and hurt souls. Thank you so much, Father Gerald Murray, uh, for coming on Washington Watch and for giving this explanation and broadening our understanding. God bless you as you continue moving forward in this this battle and wishing you a very, very Merry Christmas. All right, I want to continue this discussion on the Vatican's announcements to, uh, today. I'm joined now by Sam McCarthy, a news writer at the Washington Stand. Sam, welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you. Thanks very much for having me on, Jody. It's really good to be talking with you. Well, likewise, Sam. Thank you. All right, you just heard uh, Father Murray uh, very disturbed with how this opens the door to undermine some uh, some major teaching of the church. You're a Catholic. Uh, you certainly don't want to see your faith uh, undermined or misrepresented, be it from uh, non-Catholics or those in the media. Uh, tell us your reaction to the announcement today. Well, I, I do think that it, it is shocking to a certain extent. Uh, as Father Murray noted, we, we've never quite reached a point like this in the life of the the 2000 year history of the Catholic Church. Um, I do think that it is being misrepresented in media. And I do think as as Father Murray noted, I think that this is a, a prime opportunity for those who would work against the doctrine in the teachings of the Catholic Church to undermine them. Now, a lot of what the document specifically states does not contradict Catholic Church teaching. But it does open up the opportunity for, you know, essentially uh, poor priests and bishops. I, I don't mean impoverished, uh, but priests and bishops who are pushing an agenda, a left wing LGBT agenda, 
it does open up the opportunity for them to essentially abuse this very unregulated, explicitly unregulated uh, system that the Pope has just uh, laid out, that the, or, or not laid out, as the case may be, the, the actual definition of what these non-liturgical blessings should look like is left essentially up to the discretion of the priest. There are hints given that it should be a matter of pointing the individual towards God, towards you know goodness and justice and living in the gospel, as the document itself states. But we've already seen, especially in Germany, bishops and priests who have gone ahead and defied the Pope outright with blessing same-sex unions, not just a couple, the individuals, and praying for them and for their salvation, but blessing the unions themselves. If they're willing to defy the Pope outright in 2021, 2022, they're going to do it again in 2023. They're just going to continue undermining church doctrine. And unfortunately, now they have something to point to that they can claim is cover. And therein lies the problem, uh, the open door, as you describe, and Father Murray as well, that this, uh, once, I tell you, once a door is open, it's very difficult to close. And this appears to me, and I like your reaction to this, to be really an, two open doors, if you want. One, what Father Murray and yourself described, an open door into the church, putting bishops in an extremely difficult position to try to deal with this whole thing, and that opens the door to undermine the teachings of the church. But it also opens the door for the media to just attack the, the church and divide it even further. Uh, is that a proper assessment based on the news media and the reports that you've seen today? I'd say so. They very often misrepresent specifically what Pope Francis says. They've misrepresented what uh, most popes have said over the past 40, 50 years. Pope John Paul II, uh, Pope Benedict XVI in particular, and now Pope Francis. They're, they're trying to push an agenda. They're trying to promote their LGBT left-wing uh, ideology. And they're trying to, we see this not just with the Catholic Church, we've seen this with, you know, the, the evangelical denominations as well. We've, we've seen this, this attack on trying to, trying to redefine what they are in the media, so that not only do, are those on the outside arrayed or opposed against them, but in the inside, there's now division, infighting, insecurity, and a, a, a wondering of what's actually true, what's actually going on, because we do rely on journalists and on media to tell us what's true, to report the truth, and so many of them don't, and it's used as a way to attack Christians. We're almost out of time, Sam, but uh, do you think uh, Pope Francis will release additional statements to clarify any of this? He explicitly states in this declaration from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, which is the Vatican's doctrinal office, he explicitly states that no further statements will be given, no further clarifications, etc. He's not been one really to clarify his comments. Wow. Uh, back in 2016, a number of cardinals even asked him to clarify comments he made in his apostolic exhortation to Morris Laetitia, and to this day, he's not responding to them. So it's very unlikely that he's going to. There. Sam McCarthy, uh, Washington Stand, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, a lot of issues. We need hope. We need God. Reminds me of Romans 15, where it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.